you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer, episode 249. On tonight's episode, the hey, Fat doesn't know how to write lists anymore. Hey, he just hey, doesn't hey, know what he's doing. He's not certain which books he needs. He's not certain what's going on. The Great General's Handbook comes out, and now he's confused. He hasn't written a list in almost a year. And let's be honest, Alex writes his lists. So, he's like, Alex, you need to help me. Show me how to write a list for my own army. And Alex said, okay, I guess, why don't we make that a show then instead of covering another blessed book? And he said, okay, that sounds good, so shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage Tools for the next two hours or thereabouts. We'll do our best to keep you informed, a lot of informed, hopefully entertained at this point, and have a laugh or two along the way, not just at our expense. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm David Whitek, and uh, <laughs> this is the fourth time we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this. This is the fourth time we're doing this. Yes, tonight. Yes, it is. Something keeps just stopping, and we're not certain what or why. So, well, it's okay. Yeah. How are you, Dave? Listen, I'm fantastic. The longer it takes to get the show started, the more I've had to drink before the actual start of the show because I keep thinking we're going. And I'm like, okay, time to relax, gaze into the show. And oh, no, we got to start over again. Okay, time to relax, gaze into the show. This is the fourth start. So this is where I'm at on the fourth start. <laughs> and how are you? How are you doing, Alex? I am fairly tired, but that's okay. So we've only been at this for an hour so far, so it's an an hour of 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 producing genius, nothing genius that was lost. Yes, like dust in the wind. It's it's and guys, that might have just been some of the greatest stuff ever put on 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 radio, and and it's and it's and it's lost. The the legendary lost uh-huh. openings to two forty nine. It's such a shame. It is. It's so sad. I might start to cry right now. You should talk about the sponsors while I get myself under control uh, for right now, because I'm just I okay. Cry. Yeah, I so, understand this. Okay. So as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Sork Superstore. That sounds like a train. If I do it that way. That just sounds like an orc chewing a Guinness. Um, <laughs> Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Okay, they have your basing needs, and they've got like. They've got stuff. You should check them out. They've got like little uh, pieces of terrain stuff they're making now, and they got little stuff to hold your mm-hmm. paints in and paint racks. And I mean, basically anything that you might need on the periphery of your games, they probably make it. I got these cute little gems. I don't know if they're producing them, mass producing them yet, but I've got them, and I know Brad's got them, and they sent them for me and Harrison. Like you use them as tokens for your. Ether quartz crystals and stuff like they've got all token. Like there's just good stuff, and that's that's at the number six squared studios dot ca because they're Canadian. Glorious, glorious Canada. Canada. And Grognard nice. Games. Grognard Games is there's in Roselle, Illinois, not Canada. No, they're in Roselle because there's always something happening at Grognards, and I put that in the I. I, I 
I went there this weekend. But we'll talk about that in the toolbox. Cause we all know, Dave. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So good. All right. Um, hey, Alex. Dave. Guess who I usually like to thank besides the sponsors? Guess, guess. Just take a guess. Probably our Patreon sponsors. Our so we would technically be patrons. sponsors. Yeah, it should say oh, Patreon patrons. patrons. Yeah, they're patrons, but it says sponsors on the notes because I mistyped. You know why? Because I do that sometimes. I'm just checking. See, now I know that you needed to know they were patrons and not sponsors. See, now I know who knows that, and it's and it, it wasn't you, but that's okay. But listen, the Patreon patrons, I want to thank each and every one of them for being the reason that this quality show is going on the air. If, if, if we get past the 10-minute mark where this thing keeps just shutting down for no apparent reason. But now it looks like we are all being recorded, and it just looks gorgeous. So, um, okay, so get this. I would definitely want to thank our associate producers, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, Lance Pear, and AJC. That's important. AJC! Right? And our executive producer, Colin Miller. And I want to thank all of our rest of our patrons, present and past and possibly future. Oh, patrons, check the Patreon page because I put up posts, like other posts, not just the show posts. I think I got, a, I got some questions in there for you, things like that. Um, now that my schedule is starting to take, starting to take shape again after all these stupid months, um, we're going to be doing a lot of patron things. So if, check. And um, for those of you who don't, I know there's a few who just never check your Patreon page. And uh, I've sent some emails to some people to make sure that we can get some some group things together and some meetings together and things like that for the producers. So it's going to be an exciting time on the Patreon page. I just want to thank all of them for making all the upcoming stuff happen. And guess what else, Alex? Guess what else? Just guess. Come on, guess. We have voicemail. Hot, wait. Who told you? Uh, probably the first time we recorded this episode, but also... Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah. I get, we yeah. tend to have voicemail. Yeah. Um, we have a voicemail. We do, and we if do. if I wanted to leave a voicemail, what number do I call, Dave? Well, if, if, you, if you want to leave a voicemail, which I would probably then play on the air, you would call 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6 in most countries you dial a zero zero and then a one seven five seven gh show six if you want to call internationally and then you could be like this dude here and leave a voicemail and be like hey i'm leaving a voicemail and i think the point of this voicemail is that the lumineth are awesome and people should fear them i think that's what the message is here i'm just going to play it and you guys can decide for yourselves hi dave hi alex just calling because I was listening to the Lumina Realm Lords War section. I know I'm a few behind, but uh, I listened to the Fire Slayer podcast again like eight times, so that's my excuse. Anyway, Lumina are the first army that's making me have to think I might have to spend command points on inspiring presence. I think is what it's called for the War Herds. I mean, I've been playing them since Sigmar dropped, and I've never had to use it somewhat disturbing to me. Anyway, I know you like your voicemails. Just thought I'd share. All right, bye. I do like my voicemails. And he did indeed share. And you know what? Those were words of wisdom. 
you're going to need to not have to take break tests, uh, battle shock tests against those Lumineth Realm Lords because they're going to get you. That's what they do. They get you. And then you lose because they're awesome. That's what happens. That's my warning to everybody. If you're going to play against them, that you're going they're going they're good and they're going to get you despite their complete lack of number of units. Mhm. 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 All right, so you know what we sure, should do. Dave. Mhm. You know what we should do right now? One. We should take a break and then come back with the toolbox. That's exactly what we should do. Why don't we do that That's now? That's a idea. Excellent. We'll be right back. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Toolbox, brought to you by Chaos Orc Superstore. See, oh, I may have to do a new commercial. You just went through another Guinness that quickly. Good Lord. I didn't, but this, yeah, no, this has been several. We keep starting over again. We keep starting over again. I may die. But we're getting close to 10 minutes. As we're getting closer and closer to 10 minutes of recording, I'm watching the thing. Because if this freezes again, and this will be the fourth time that it and it doesn't work, then I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to cry. So you should start talking about your toolbox, what you've been tooling, what you've been boxing, what you've been doing. You, I know you got the hobby. You you got the hobby. So tell us what you did, because that number's got to get being, getting close to zero. For the number of models, it is getting. Oh goodness gracious! Go on. So what you got? So since last recording, I finished Morgwaite's Blade Coven. Uh, so that's the Daughters of Cain warband for Warhammer Underworlds. I did them in a traditional-ish Drow scheme. So it's a dark gray skin. Uh, pretty happy with how they turned out. Uh, I did go with like a green, like a Dark Angels green as a contrasting color for their cloth. Um, and it turned out pretty well, pretty happy with them, uh, mainly because they're done and that's good enough for me. Uh, so that puts, so how many, uh, okay, so what's, what is, what is your status? What is it? Where are you at? What is your status right now? Quote, um, anyway, yes. Uh, so I have six left. You have six models left to paint. To clear my backlog. Six models. 
Okay, so would, do you have anything like? Okay, you, let's say you paint those six tomorrow. Wait, did you say your quo was status? I said my status was quo. Oh, you. <sighs> okay, it took me a. Se- I was like, "What in the world is he talking about?" I know I might be slow, but come on, now that was awful. That was really awful. That was just bad. You're gonna burn for that. That's gonna be. There's gonna be pain in the afterlife for that one. I'm just letting you know right now. That's. I don't make the rules, but I have a feeling that's one of them. Okay, so <laughs> you have six models left to paint. How many? To clear the backlog, yes. No, when you say, what does that mean, clear the backlog? You s- so this is projects that I've had sitting uh, for an indeterminate amount of time uh, that I've been meaning to finish and just haven't. Do you have, let's say you paint those six. You have no more unpainted built models after those six. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Now, do you have, like, let's say you finish that six tomorrow. Do you have models on sprue waiting to be built and turned into the next thing you're painting? Or are you, like, just have nothing to do for a, for at least No, a... I, I had picked up another army project um, in anticipation of Holy Havoc uh, for the team event uh that would have been happening this November. What were but you then making? Stuff. Oh, is it still a secret? Even though, oh, look at this. Okay. Okay. Well, you see, at this point, we're going to table it to 2021. Oh, um, so did you buy it all, though? Like, are you? did you have yeah. it? Oh, so are you yeah. going to build and paint it now? Maybe. I've got a year. So then, okay, well, so okay, so let's say you decide not to build those. Then you got nothing else, or you got something else to build. I have a box of Dreadfleet. Oh, that's right. You got to paint the Dreadfleet. Okay, you didn't build the Dreadfleet yet, fleet yet, so it doesn't count. That's so much better than me. I have like hundreds of models. I think it's hundreds. I have hundreds of models as well that are not um, that are built and not painted, or not re- they're built and painted. Um, because over the last three years, as long as I've been counting, I've painted 699 models. Did you have other armies before that? Yes. So you could have over 1,000 models. You could. You could have over 1,000 models at home, and that's fantastic. I, I might. I don't know. I sold a lot, but then I realized I got a, I got a flipping giant GW case, the sixth foam tray one of just like orcs and goblins. Yeah. I didn't realize I even um, still had that. Like I've just got models I didn't even know I had. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. I, I tr- in the midst of all this uh, re-recording nonsense, I tried to do like a rough estimate in my head of how many miniatures I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> There's too many. You got me all excited for that. Oh, gee whiz. God, jeez. Look at I this. I may try to do a count um, by next by next show. Uh, oh. It's a lot. Maybe I so. should, too. Should I take an inventory? I don't think that's a good idea. At least not well, for me. Well, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to make you feel really bad about 
how much you haven't done or it's going to make you feel really good about how much you have done or it's going to make you feel bad about how much money and time you spent on this hobby oh, I've sold so much, or still so consequently much that could also make you feel really good that you've gotten to spend that much time doing something you enjoy and love that's true you know the money for time investment ratio is pretty good for warhammer it's amazing I uh, mean, but the other thing is you have something to show for it. Um, yeah, a beautiful little like, army with a big cow. No, um, <laughs> but no, that's the thing. It's like the difference between Warhammer and a video game is you have models to show for it. That is uh, true. With a video game, you have achievement unlocked. Although, um, if you play that Disney Plus type game that my daughters and my son used to have, you'd buy little models and then you'd put them on the machine and you could play that character on the video game. Oh, they right. had they, models. That, game. that was a pretty cool game. Sure. I don't know. My kids so, really enjoyed it. I'm not razzing on video gamers. I know that's something that people are into. And if you're into it, great. I'm really happy for you. I'm into um, it. I'm great. Kinda. Awesome. Are we still recording? We are. It's still rolling. We are at 16 minutes of recording time. We've said nothing, but it's still recording. And that's what's important. What else have you done for the hobby? Not, not like it. not like I'm not talking like hey what have you done for the hobby I mean in your personal hobby uh that's it for that's it Age of Sigmar really oh if you done oh just for Age of Sigmar what else have you been doing we'll, we'll talk about that later oh, okay we'll talk about that later. that's in the other section Come oh on. that's in the other mm-hmm. section okay uh I've been building um Lumineth Realm Lords and I got a bunch of them and I'm getting more. Um, I could build both. I got one starter set, and then I traded up and got another starter set. Or you know, some we had very generous listeners who were willing to sell me the elf half for what could be considered a song. However, so I got like ten of the horse guys done, and I got twenty spears done, and I, I built the stone mage and the two Cathalars and the spirit of Altharian. And one of the Bowman, those models are so nice. Those Bowman models, oh, just precision unit, ready to fire, looking sharp. I can't wait to get this stuff done. But I've got uh, 19 more bows and 20 spears, excuse me, and 10 hammer elves. And then Teclas and the, the Spirit of the Mountain to build yet. But I'm plugging away at it because I'm super excited. I'm really enjoying building these. They're just, they look so good. They're just in these great formations. They've got these, I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm having a lot of fun building them. And even I don't even mind scraping all the mold lines, which, you know what, takes a while if you actually care about it. And um, it's just, that's what I've been doing, hobby stuff. Having a fantastic time building these models, though. Wonderful. The triple string bow is yes. really concerning to me. Uh, in regards to painting and scraping mold lines off a triple string bow. Yeah, you know what? I really wasn't scraping on the bow itself. At some point, I was just like, I was cleaning up as best I could. I actually did one of the strings did snap. I got some glue on it and around it, and it's back all to one piece but I was just scraping and I did crack one of them on the one bone that I built so I am 
betting a thousand on broken bowstrings, unlike Uncle Picos. Um, huh. But no, it's I, oh, I. I just love the models. I can't can't say it enough. I really like this army, and it's not mine. It's Harrison's. <laughs> he bought it, but since I'm painting it and putting it together, he's totally letting me play with it when he's not home. If I ever get a game in against somebody, so. And when he comes home now, he wants to play, and that's the best part because we could play every night if he wants to, you know, any night. Mm-hmm. We, and I'm super stoked about that. Like, my son's back in the hobby. That's flipping awesome. Um, all right. So um, what about gaming? What gaming have you been doing? You've been doing some gaming? Have you done any gaming? Have you done any? Have you, have you played some games? No. No? Okay, me neither. So that's, that's good. Um, so we got through the gaming section. And now we're on to other. What other things have you done? You've done other things. I'm certain there's other things. You don't just do Warhammer 24-7. That would be weird. What other? So, uh, Carrie and I had our uh, part of our basement uh, closed off to do an office and a gaming area. So Office and gaming uh, in the basement. Yeah. So, I put together two desks for us to do his and her uh, painting desks for hobby nights. Um, does she paint? She does, actually. Oh, that's right. I've seen her painting. I was at one of your hobby nights. That's the day I finished uh, uh, Nagash. Nagash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she is actually a very good painter. Um, yeah. She definitely doesn't get the credit. Um, and certainly makes me feel really bad about my current painting motivation. Because <laughs> um, I'm just slapping contrast, and I know I keep Saying that, I'm just saying that my saving matters. Okay. Okay. To be fair, most of those are not contrast, but that's besides the point. Um, no, that's pretty much been about it as far as like other hobby stuff. And then uh, we actually gotten really into a show called Puff and Rock. Uh, it's a kids show out of Ireland, I think. Um, and Joni is just absolutely Wait, obsessed puffing with it. Rock? Puffin. Oh. <laughs> no. It's like, no. what? It's like train uh, spotting on PBS. No. Uh, puffin. P-U-F-F-I-N. Rock. Oh. Um, we don't watch a lot of television, um, but mm. she maybe gets like maybe an hour a day. Um, and she's become obsessed with uh, Puffin Rock. And it's just like some cutesy little show, just silly things happening on an island with puffins and everything like that. And she's become obsessed with the little brother of the main character, and his name is Baba. And it's just a little puffball puffin uh, chick. And just, it's an adorable show. And I actually really enjoy it. So that's, uh, that's about it. I know. Nerd. <laughs> Puff and rock. Okay. Um, if you have small children, um, and you're, I have. You have a, you have Netflix. Um, I would strongly recommend it because it's just funny. The only thing it's I don't, on Netflix. Puffin. Yes. Rock. Okay. Puffin rock. I'm. I'm, I'm There's only two seasons. Uh, oh, I'm certain I won't watch all of that, but I just want to see what you're subjecting yourself to. Oh, I mean, dude, I watched all adorable. that stuff, but Mike, see, I just let the kids watch The Simpsons and. SpongeBob and stuff, so at least I can enjoy it when I was watching it with him. Oh no, Puff and Rock is. Oh, Harrison awesome. did like Blue's Clues, but no one cares what Harrison liked. Let's be honest. And 
didn't that guy do a whole lot of acid or something? I don't know. I hope so. I mean, me he's walking good. around talking to an imaginary dog. I mean, anyway. So, <laughs> have Scooby you been up to Doo, anything though. else? Oh yes. Oh yes. Um, the the Halloween village is almost set. It did rain today, so I didn't get to start the yard work. Um, I did dig up my fog machine. And uh, I ordered my Halloween costume, which would be the first time I'm actually wearing a co- Halloween costume in like 10 years, but I've lost enough weight where I can buy the biggest, fattest size they have, and I can wear it. So I got a costume going. Um, the whole Halloween village is up. I posted that on my Facebook page because it was just bananas. But uh, we took the Christmas ladder concept, and I made more shelves, and we got our Halloween stuff up there. We got it outside. Um I just today in the time mail, out. What? How do bananas have anything to do with Halloween? They bananas are good any time. They're a good source of potassium. They're just always good. I understand this, but banana lawn decor banana lawn decorations for Halloween. Oh no, that I doesn't don't, sound. Did I say that? Dave. Whoa! No, you said that your decorations are all bananas. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, is that what I said? Um, well, I, it's true. They are. They're all. It's a banana theme. Like picture, picture the Nightmare Before Christmas, but instead of scary things, just bananas. That's my whole front yard. It's like a banana pumpkin and a banana, a banana uh, bat and a banana uh, coffins. It's just. It's. It's all of it. Do you have the banana hammock to go with it? You know I do. You of all people know I do. I I know. Yes. Anyway, so carry so, on. So I got all that going, and like I said, oh, it's looking so good. Um, just today in the mail, I got my uh, special uh, steel box edition from Best Buy of the original Halloween in 4K Ultra HD. I was watching that. Super excited. Um, I went to see Tenet, and that was really actually kind of cool. I need to see that again, but I'm not going to go to the theaters again if I don't have to. I'll wait for that one. But boy, was that movie pretty cool. Christopher Nolan again is like, oh, look, I'm smarter than you. Okay, thank you, Christopher. Appreciate that. Well, I, gave, I gave you 10 bucks. You shouldn't be such a jerk. Um, what else? I've been... Uh, oh, if you have HBO Max, you should watch a, a thing called Class Action Park. Um, God... Uh, if this place wasn't outside of New Jersey, I wish it was in Chicago because we totally, I know I totally would have been to this place. Um, this is a park, uh, a theme park that opened, or uh, like a water park and, 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 and like racetrack and stuff like that that opened. And it was just lethal. Like people were getting themselves killed in this place and it just kept pl- going. Like, and nobody, sh- oh, it's bananas. If you haven't heard of it and you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, and I got one other other, okay? And um, and that's, uh, and I don't often, <laughs> I don't often mention other podcasts or other shows, um, but I've been listening um, quite a bit to, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, why am I blanking on this now? Uh, the Legends of the Painting Men, which is totally, just so everybody knows, it is absolutely like not like this show. It is so not family friendly. <laughs> but 
Um, I just I, I listen and I laugh my head off every time I, I listen to this show. It's so so much fun. It's so good. Um, and the guys are like real comedians. This guy John Roy and Andrew DeWitt, and I just. You know, and like I said, I do normally don't mention shows because show, a lot of shows will come and go. Or you mention one show and they, whoops, drop my mic. Uh, you mention one show, you don't mention another show, and then they're like, you know, you, like, you know, you just don't want to say anything stupid. But I just, I really <laughs> enjoy the show so much. Um, it's really fun, and um, if if you if if you like a couple of guys who really like Warhammer and then just kind of hang out and talk about what they're doing but really just start cracking jokes and go sort of off on crazy tangents, it's kind of like me, only actually funny. That's um, kind of what the show's like. And that's what I've been doing for my other... Um, yeah, I think that's it. So it sounds like we've been up to bunches. Uh, so we should probably take a break and move on over to the next to the main topic. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we actually just took a break, like not even twenty minutes ago. You want to just jump into the topic, and then we'll just take a break when we get a little, a little deeper into the episode. Yeah, sure. I just didn't know how I, you want to split it. I'm ready to go. We ain't got to split. We got to keep going with this. You wrote a lot wow. of stuff. You wrote a lot of stuff, by the way. Like I asked you for um, notes, and I appreciate the fact that you. Because this is, this is like two pages single-spaced, or a page and a half at least. Single-spaced, 10 font. Yeah, it's a little bit. No, this is good. I, I, I asked you a question. I wanted to learn something, and guess what? Now you're like, here you go. Now learn. This is what you got. Try to win a game. Go ahead, learn. Learn something, I dare you. This only took me like half an hour. Oh, <laughs> well, an aristocrat. Okay. Mr. I can do a, I can rip off a whole episode in a half hour when Dave can't even get the show to record until the fourth time that God bless it try to do it. All right, so let's jump into this then. Why don't you take it away, sir? I have my pen. I have my notes. I'm ready to go. Educate me. Okay, this is gonna take a while. Um, so what? Nothing. No, no, nothing. That no, nothing. You go right ahead. Okay, great. Um, so. For context, since we do want to keep this as evergreen as possible, um, we're recording in late September, uh, post-GHB 2020. And with the GHB 2020, there were a number of notable changes that have come out and have been enacted uh, that need to take into consideration. Uh, So the first of which actually is probably the most recent of them is that army lists from publications, uh, so like the White Dwarf lists uh, from their Celestial Tome or whatever it is, that particular article is, they're valid now uh, in tournament play, even if they're like outside of the year-esque thing that they had going on, where it's like if it wasn't in the GHB, it's not valid anymore. So people would like build their armies and do cool things and get all excited about it, but then year rolls by and they can't play with it anymore. So they put that into the FAQ errata that they're legal going forward. So that's the, so like here's, the host is the last. Here's my question for that. Sure. And you might know this answer. Okay. What if I don't have that episode, that issue of white dwarf? You can actually download it uh, for a cost to get the rules. 
and they provided all the links to it in the FAQ and errata sections, this way you can go directly to it and get that as particular episode, that particular issue for the rule set you're looking for. Okay, any idea how much that is? More than a penny, less than twenty dollars. All right, all right. So it's it's a folks. You get an issue of White Dwarf for less than twenty dollars. There's a ringing endorsement for you right there. You can I get don't a, remember. You need to remember everything. Why don't you remember? What is going on? What madness is this? That's what I'm asking you right now. I have a two-year-old. Thank you. Oh, um, okay. It's all okay. So. Right. Blame the child. That's great. That's fantastic. Blame the child. I'm just I've got three. That. I'm going to pass out way more blame than you. That's that's your own fault. You anyway. got it. All right. Um, so keep keeping on with the actual topic. Um, so there's also been a massive change in the number of artifacts available. Uh, since AOS 2 came out, we've been living in the world of malign sorcery. So that's all like, those extra realm artifacts. That was like 42, right? Uh, 7 times 12. So 12? Yeah, because there were 6 artifacts and 6 weapons per realm. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, four, yeah, 42 uh, artifacts and 42 weapons. Just, so, yeah. 84 additional artifacts available to armies, if you just say you're from whatever realm, in addition to all the artifacts and whatnot from your particular battle tome. So, you went from all of that to whatever's in your battle tome, and then one artifact from a realm. And that's it. So Down to seven. That simplifies things. Okay, good. And so it, yeah, and that's and, all in the GHB, right? Yeah, that is all in the GHB 2020. Um, they updated it this way. The realms are quite a bit easier to play in. They're quite a bit easier to understand. But then there's also this uh, list building portion with the artifact change that you can't depend on like the ethereal amulet anymore you can't depend on the ether quartz brooch Uh, you can't depend on the things that you have that a lot of us have been living off of for i don't know two years so do they have that blade where you give it to your champion and sixes do d6 mortals it's gone see that was the only one i really used like but but I wasn't addicted to it. I just I would use it because it was good. I liked it, man. I did. Yeah, the sort of judgment. Um, yeah, that yeah, thing was no, awesome. It's it's gone. So and that's fine. Uh, so you have to really reconsider your army list even from that point because you may or may not want to take things now that they can't have that additional broken artifact. Um, okay. And it also puts a lot more value on the artifacts in your book. Um, and Cities of Sigmar is a particular struggle bus on this because each one of the cities only has three artifacts assigned to it. And then they only have the artifact singular of the realm that they're from, unless they're Hammerhall. Okay. Well, you know what, so, though? They got so many things they can do. Come on now. Come on No, no I'm just now. saying. Um, and then the other big thing uh, is that Armulus can only include up to three endless spells now. Um so the biggest issue is like you could have some armies that would have like seven or eight endless spells um, and they just use them as terrain features essentially is what it boils down to. Um, 
because you can't move through an endless spell. You can only like fly over it, but not everyone has access to that much flying. And then you still need a space to land that is more than an inch away from said endless spell. So it's just you need to you need to get toned down because at some point that just got to be too oppressive. And then with the advent of the Darkfire Demon Rift or whatever it's called. Uh, from Slaves to Darkness, where it does additional mortal wounds based on how many endless spells are on the table. Uh, it oh, just goodness. got to be absurd. Yeah. Um, so, a couple notable changes we should probably just go over ever so briefly. Um, so, when we put this together, I asked you a couple of questions about, like, what do you want out of this episode? And you're like, what do we need now? Um, was one of the first questions mm-hmm. and the correct answer is it's a lot smaller than what it used to be. Uh, cause we don't need the malign sorcery supplement anymore. Um, you may need that with the exception of the, it's if your TO or group decide to keep the spells of the realms, cause those are still technically pseudo viable. They're kind of in like in a gray area where it's your group's choice. Okay. So, um, but you also like need the models for the endless spells and the cards uh, for those endless spells that came in malign sorcery. If you want to continue to use those spells, sure. Um, but as far as like books that you need, all you really need is the GHB twenty twenty and points values twenty twenty. Um, your battle tome, your PDF, your supplement, whatever combination of that is, and then any battle tome of the allies that you take. And even then, you may not need it. Um, if you have the war scroll card or just your phone. So, okay. Um, now we also had the gaming book that came out, uh, I believe last year, which kind of condensed everything you need for match play into a small single source. And that is essentially obsolete now because the realm spells are mostly gone in that gray area. The artifacts are gone. The realm rules have all changed. So, so much of that is obsolete, plus the scenarios or the battle plans have all changed. So that book really isn't necessary anymore. Okay. So um, that's kind of the stuff that you really need. And obviously calculator, pen, pencil, whatever. Um, so it's really kind of like the basics of what you need. And then the tricky part is how do I build a list? And... I'm not talking about, like, you select the hero, you pick the artifact. I'm not talking about that part. I'm talking, like, how does your list work? Yep, this is what I wanted to talk about. So the first thing that I want to talk about with list building is that there's a lot of additional steps before you even start writing. Um, And this is my process as I go through it because – I can only relate to how I write lists. There are some people that will just Google search for net lists or browse forums or whatever. Um, but this is my process. And the first thing I do is I read the battle tome. Uh, okay. Narrative section and all. Um, so, so I get a real feel for the army and try to figure out like what I like about the army. Is it a particular model? Is it a special rule? A battalion? the narrative like what speaks to you and says 
this is why I'm building this army. So with the Lumineth, you're doing this for Harrison. Um, yes. But also, what is the appeal to Lumineth? Because well, it isn't Teclas. I, well, I'm not taking Teclas in my list that I'm writing to play. I, Harrison is, also says he wants two lists because he, he said to me, he goes, yeah, he goes, help me get together a list that's not with Teclas. I'm like, really? He's like, he's like I wouldn't want to play against Nagash every single game. You're not going to want to play against Teclas every single game. So let's get some lists together that don't need that. Um, and so we've kind of, uh, well, I mean, they've, we got a lot of spears and a lot of archers and then some cool characters and then the cow. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's fine. Um, like, so we, we were looking just, there's only 10 units. So for this particular army, it was like, oh, we've only got a few choices. Three of them are named characters. So that's down to seven choices. And so, you know, for us, it was a little easier because we didn't have as many choices to make. Okay. But what list. about Night Haunt? Why did you do Night Haunt? Uh, it was another, well, it was the newest death army, and that was the only army I kept of all my old Warhammer armies. Um, mm-hmm. I liked I liked the theme. I liked, uh, what's her name, the whole concept behind her. Lady Linder? Yeah, and j- them just coming in and, and just being sort of weird, scary ghosts that mess things up. So that, I was like, oh, this this is a cool army. I, can, I could go for this. Yeah. So with my deep kin, um, the reasons I went with them was the narrative, the raiders from the depths that are coming to steal your souls mm-hmm. um, in order to empower their own. The oceanic aspect, like a lot of their armor is very like shell-like mm-hmm. and their weapons are very wavy. Um, so you picked an army you liked the story and that you wanted to build. That's how I initially picked the dwarves when I was playing, when I first started playing. Right. Um, and then they were also the first book that I worked on as a play tester with GW. So I have a certain sentimental value attached to them as well. Okay. So, um, if it's, if the reason that you're building this army is winning events, great. Uh, then just take the most powerful build you can. Um, but you can build this around anything that the army can do with a certain degree of success or something that is cool about it. So I like the sharks. For Deepkins, that's the Alapexes. So, <clears throat> with my list writing, I make it a priority to get them into my army list. Because they're one of the main reasons that I have this army to begin with, and I want to play with these stupid sharks. Okay. So, um... You're taking the sharks, even though they're not optimal, because you want to play with sharks, just like I'm... Well, yeah, when I play with my armies. I want to play with this unit. I don't care that it's not great. This is the unit. Right. So what it then becomes is you can build your list around that. So with Deepkin taking Alapexes, I'm then looking at, okay, so what can benefit an Alapex? They have three separate attack profiles for melee. So when a king uses high t- uses uh, Lord of the Tides, they get plus one attack to all their profiles. So what other things can I take that have multiple attack profiles? Okay. Eels. So they would benefit from the same thing. So it's like building in almost redundancies, but things that would benefit along the same vein as an Alapex. And then just building from there. Interesting. 
I see. So, so this is what I really want to take. What other things will can? What other things can synergize with this this thing that I'm taking? My microphone is slipping again. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so the next thing that you're gonna want to look at is the battle plans for the types of games you'll be playing. So because there are multiple ways to play this game, uh, you need to figure out what is gonna be the best course for you. If it's narrative, then Play whatever is to the narrative. Just make sure you have the tools to actually make a story behind it, but also can you compete in the battle plans you'll be planning to do? Can you actually do somewhat of a historical reenactment or faithful interpretation of the events of that narrative battle that you're playing? Okay. um, If it's the match play games, then you're looking at like, what do you need to do to score victory points? Is it units on objectives? If so, when do you start scoring those objectives? Do you need reliably survivable heroes? Do you need to play more? Or it's like as a play style for you, do you play more objective holdings, like a defensive control type mentality? Uh, so it'd be like the slower stuff that's harder to shift. Or do you maximize your chances of taking out the opposing army, so playing aggressively or aggro. Um, Then you have to think about your playgroup or the meta, quote-unquote, or whatever you prefer to call it. Is the meta currently, like, alpha strike? Is that a thing right now? And when I say alpha strikes, this way there's no confusion. It's a unit that can cross the table and hit you turn one um, before you have any of your bonuses up. So whether that's a teleport or just really fast moving or whatever the case may be. Like stuff that can hit you turn one before you get anywhere else. So you then need to take screening units to block off alpha strike lists. Do you need to take stuff that is anti-monster because they tend to do a lot of damage and are very hard to take down depending on the creature? Okay. Um, are you seeing a lot of magic in your meta? Um, especially with Lumineth. Um, but the same kind of stuff that you can build to deal with the magic of Lumineth can also be used to take down uh, Zinch, because they tend to depend on a lot of magic as well. Um, now, this all depends on the options available to your army, but you need to have some sort of a plan for almost every situation you might run into. And I know that is a lot to comprehend. Because there's so many combinations out there. But you can kind of lump them into some general categories of how do I deal with an alpha strike. And when you say alpha strike, you're looking at stuff like that's deepkin. Because the eels can get on you really quick. That's stormcast with the uh, teleport. That's nighthaunt with the teleport. So it's like there's a lot of things that do similar mechanics that you can still like prepare for essentially okay um and a lot of times just going in on hope uh can be an option it's not a good one but we do play games with evil cubes of chance and sometimes it just works out um (laughs) you can also try to either control or avoid certain units through movement on the table um so if you don't want to deal with Archeon or Gorjak or something uh, do something to negatively impact their movement 
and then just avoid them. There's only so many places those models can be. Um, or something like the 20 block of Hearthguard Berserkers. You apply Soul Snare, shack- soul snare Shackles. <laughs> you every time. <laughs> hey, that is a lot to say. Uh, that unit is suddenly not nearly as mobile as it used to be. Even with the rune. So you can try to avoid it more. Um, so, and you can try to do that, but to a certain point, you may get double turned, which then means they'll get two turns to move at you, which means you might get caught. So there's a lot to consider from what you're putting in your army to how you play it on the table. Um, so give me one second. I've been talking a little bit. Sure. No, that's fine. Um, so I pick a list, or I pick an army, and once again, pick an army you're going to want to paint because you got to paint them. So you may you may seriously consider, you know, okay, I'm going to have to paint this. Like that's why my first army was I was between dwarves and undead. And I said, I don't want to just keep painting flesh, blood and bone. And that's it for an entire army. Like that was just not something I wanted to do. So that's why I picked the dwarves first because it was between the two of them. I was really torn. Um, Vampire Counts wound up being, I think, my fourth army I started. Uh, I wound up playing with them the longest, actually, but they were like the fourth army I started because I just didn't want to paint that. And so, you know, you get into what you want to do. Now I'm, you know, painting blue, white, and silver because Harrison likes old color schemes. But uh, what are you going to do? You know, that's 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 where you get into your picks. Um, one of the things I think... I found interesting um, in what you were saying was that whole idea of trying to build around something in the army. Um, I haven't found that something yet with this one I'm working on now. Um, I know some people, I have a tendency when an army comes out to just buy a little bit of everything to make sure I have everything and play with it and then figure out what I want to do and then work a list to that. And then go out and buy whatever I don't have to fit that list. I know there's a lot of people who write their list first and then buy their army just to fit that particular list. I suppose if I get better at writing lists, I could do something like that. But I'm just such a guy who just wants to play a little of everything. And wants to give everything a shot and see how it works and see how it looks and plays on the on the table. Um, yeah, and there is a certain degree of that that you're going to try. You're going to try proxying miniatures. Um in your like home games or whatever, as long as your opponents are okay with it. Cause for a lot of these models, they are expensive. So uh, you're going to yeah. want to make sure that they are something that you actually enjoy before you pick them up. So and that's perfectly understandable. And I don't think that's not unreasonable. And I know a lot of people have given a lot of hullabaloo about GW waits two weeks to do, the FAQ and then that changes everything I bought and yada, yada, yada. So then they wait two weeks to see how the army changes with the FAQ. It's like, okay, whatever works for you. So, um, yeah, but it's really just what is your driver 
what is your motivation? Um, so we should also probably just talk about like overall composition um, and that sort of thing. So the big thing is just what are you going for? Like if you'd like to play a shooting army and you're playing Stormcast, like what would you take in a shooting army to maximize that? Because your play style is going to be shooting. So to maximize that, you're looking at like long strikes, you're looking at adjudicators, you're looking at maybe allying in a celestial hurricane to get bonuses to hit on your shooting attacks. So there's trying to figure out like how are you going to play the game and be successful and then what can you do to maximize that but you also have to have other things as like ancillary um and when i say that i'm talking like objective grabbing if you're playing mostly aggro so everything that you put into your list has to have a purpose um for whatever reason anything other than that you're adding dead weight and if you have a unit in there that's like, oh, I'm taking this because they're cute, it's like, okay, that's great. But if you don't find a use for them other than they're cute, you're essentially gimping yourself points. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, Nurglings are cute. Um, they're not particularly great in combat, but they're great for sneaking onto objectives, getting, uh, what's the, corruption points or whatever it is. Oh, right, right, right. Uh Contagion points, contagion points, um, just by sitting. So it's just finding a use for everything that you're putting in, um, especially if you're aiming to be competitive. Um, it's generally just make sure you have something to do something, whether that's holding objectives, killing stuff, um, even like the initial run out and grab an objective right away. Um, deep striking units, the teleporters, like any sort of stuff like that or like what characters do you then take to enhance your army so your buff pieces? Um, so it's the characters that's for the most part. Um, there's like particular units, war shrines, uh, the wizard wagons for cities of Sigmar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's just trying to make sure that everything has a reason to be there. Otherwise, just kind of drags along. Okay. Um, when building an army. Um, and I got a lot of this additional, like the meta feedback, uh, from some of the guys in the Detroit Warhammer club. Um, okay. And they play hard all the time. That's just how they play. So, but there's a lot of things like I got this from Sean, um, having three or more legitimate threats in your list. Um, so that meaning you have to have three or you should have three or more things that your opponent has to address in some way to make them make decisions, which you can then use to your advantage as they make those decisions and make wrong ones. So, and I thought about this with my deep kin that I took to meltdown last year. I had two units of nine more Sargard and one unit of three Alapexes. So those okay. are my three immediate threats. See what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, and then that was the kind of the crux of the army was those three immediate threats. I had one unit of thralls 
and one unit of Black Ark Corsairs to go and run objectives or to screen off and then characters to support the efforts of the Morsars and the Alapexes. So it's a king, a uh, soul scryer to make them charge better. So it's just, again, how do I incorporate the things and support them appropriately? Um, if you only have like one massive Death Star or something like that, that can be avoided for the most part. If you invest all your eggs in that one basket, that one basket can be controlled. It can be ignored. Okay. It, you may not be killed, but it can be dealt with. If you have three things, you have to really think about how do I either avoid, kill, or negate three units in their army. So it's just like having something where you have to make your opponent make choices. Um, and then this is something that I found interesting in his feedback to this episode. Um, some army threats are more threatening than others. So like uh, for gloom spike gets like they're boing bounders. They're great, but they're random. They're not as inherently dangerous as I don't know something uh, from any other book for the most part, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they're not like as inherently dangerous as like a unit of thirty sisters of slaughter or something like that. Um, okay, but it's that natural imbalance in armies that makes the game interesting to him. So. The example he gives is if your army doesn't necessarily excel at killing, then your threats may have to manifest in other ways, holding objectives. So for Nurgle, if you're playing demons, your demons for the most part don't really kill anything. But a unit of 30 plague bearers on an objective probably isn't going anywhere. Right. That is so very it's still much true. a threat. Right. Okay. Um, whew. <laughs> Am I going too fast? I don't. Is this, this is a. I don't think so, but we should probably take a break. Why don't we give you a break? Yes. I think you need a break, and we've been on for a good almost an, uh, about 50 minutes. So we'll take a break, we'll come back, and then Alex can keep running through all this good stuff. There's always something happening at... Grognards. That's right, friends. Grognard Games in Roselle, Illinois, and at grognardgames.com. They are now open daily from 12 to 7 for your gaming pleasure. Now, if you want, you can go into the store, find what you need. Not comfortable going into the store, even with a mask on? Call them up for curbside pickup. Or order online at grognardgames.com. They've got what you need. They've got Warhammer. They've got Dungeons & Dragons. They've got Marvel Crisis Protocol. They've got Battletech. They've got a huge pre-owned section, and you can find it on grognardgames.com or in the store. Now, you can't play in the store right now. Still got to have social distancing protocols, and if I got to stay more than six feet away from you, probably can't play a game of Magic. Probably going to be pretty difficult to play a game of Warhammer either, but you can still get all your hobby needs met at Grognards. Because if the world starts to reopen and your hobbying starts to take off again, you know you're going to need stuff. And you can find it at Grognards. And why? You know why. Because there's always something happening at Grognards. 
And we're back. We're back. We're here. We're back. You're back. The commercials are done, or that commercial's done. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to talk more about this stuff. Um, can we can we just back up just a little bit, though, before we get to uh, the last two topics? Um you were going through a lot of stuff, and I got to be honest with you. Uh, I had a few drinks, and I, I I lost a little track of it along the way. And one of the parts you kind of went through quickly as I was absorbing it. By the time I absorbed it, you were past it. See, and so um, like, can we go back just to talk a little bit about the three threats? Because that yes. that I really that grabbed me. Like I was like, oh, okay. So three things you got to have three things in there. Let's let's back up and just cover that again. Just a little more slowly. Like maybe give me an example from different armies and things like that. Like I know you said you like to take your your sharks, and if you got your sharks, then you got to bring it. But are sharks a threat? Like are they really a threat? Or are we? Or is that a good example? Or see what I'm starting to say? Like I'm not a hundred percent certain, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's cool. Um, so no, we did. I did rush through that very quickly. Um, so the three threat is to have three things that your opponent has to deal with, either because they're super killy or super hard to remove or are going to, in some way, shape, or form, interfere with their plans to win the game. So the example given with my Deepkin is that I have my sharks, which I take as a shiver of three sharks, because then they actually do crack out a significant amount of damage when there's three of them in a team. Okay. So then the next two threats you're looking at would be two units of nine Morsar Guard. Um, and those are the Electro Eels. So the thing with that is like the two obvious threats are the Eels. Yes, because those things are stupid. Yes, but the Sharks then pose a third threat because they're actually fairly good for shooting, which I even forget sometimes because I just think it's a shark. It should bite you. Um, But each one of them has three shots. That's true. (laughs) Um, Each one of them has three shots with their crossbow at a decent range. So you have to take into consideration all things as far as like a viable threat and influence on what they can and cannot do. Plus, being a shark, they're eight wounds with a four-up save. Um, they're no slouch. It's just they're not as good as eels, but it's still a third viable threat that you have to deal with. All right. Um, okay. With yeah, fire you got any slayers. Other... Okay, fire slayers. There we go. Uh, 20 Hearthguard Berserkers is a threat. Um, um, yeah. Yes, because not only... Is it particularly good at killing things? Uh, it's also just extremely tanky and hard to shift. So that is a threat because it will sit on an objective and in a lot of cases kill whatever you put into it. The then like other threats you could consider would be like either another unit of them, but you run out of points at a certain point. Um, a magma droth, like just some other things that people have to deal with, those are generally the most effective lists is when you have three things. So like your Night Haunt uh, list that you took to Wapaka, you had two big units of Chain Rasps. Yes, I did. And what else did you have? 
I had one, uh, let's see, let me see if I can remember this list. It's been that long. I had one solid unit of the, uh, of the guys with the big swords. Like 10 or 20? Uh, yeah, it was either 10 or 20. I think it might have been 10. It might have been okay. 10, uh, but it could have been 20. I, 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 dude, it, it it was eight months ago. Like I don't have the I list know. in front of me. I had that, and then I had the I had the guy uh, on the horse who allows you to teleport a unit. The um, dreadblade. Yeah, and then I had that. Uh, I had the the battalion with the with the guardian of souls. Uh huh. And um, did you have any grim gas troopers? I uh, don't think so. I had Rikenor. Yes, you had the Grim Hailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that building, sorry, had, I mean, if I would have known we were going to ask about this, I would have tried to dig up the list. No, in no, fact, but that that was the point of this is to try to identify based on what you've played with, um, if you're falling into like this three plus threat category. So you've got the two threats with the chain rasp because they crack out a lot of attacks. They're not all very good, but it's a lot of attacks. They have uh-huh. a lot of saves. Between the ethereal save and then the death save. Plus you can put them back and they're very quick so they can get onto objectives. Oh, okay. So and oh, you had a unit of twenty blade, yes. <laughs> hey, look at this. I'm sitting actually in front of my computer and I think I've got the list. Okay, here it is. Well, hold on. I did. Okay. I had twenty blade geist revenants. There it is. There's your third threat. There's my threat. I had ten Reapers. Mm-hmm. Two units of forty chain rasps. Uh-huh. Two chain ghasts. Sure. The battalion I had was the condemned. Mm-hmm. I had the shackles and the grave tide, which I never used even once. Ten points. Uh, oh, 60. No, I know. I'm oh. saying ten points for you for forgetting to use very good endless spells. Uh, well, part of it was that they, I didn't have them, and then they didn't, and then I had to borrow them, and then I, I, I never really used them. I, I, okay, uh, confession time. I think I've used one endless spell the entire time they've ever been out. Like, I just never really used them. And I know they're good, and that's why I suck as a player, but I just, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, I only one I've ever used was I used the Comet when I was playing with my Stormcast. The Stormcast yeah, Comet? Tracks. Yeah, that was about it. Uh, and then what else did I have? I had a, a, oh, that's right, I had a Vampire Lord ally mm-hmm. and then i had a uh, the guardian with the lantern a spirit torment Rikenor, and the dreadblade hero so look there's a list i found it yeah i'm so, so proud of me good. good uh so you have the three threats with the chain rasps for objectives and just mass amount of attacks yeah that's you had model, blade yeah. geist for quality massive amount of attacks uh-huh. um, because they put out a lot of attacks plus the spirit torment plus the dread the uh guardian of souls like there's a lot of ways to buff that particular unit to right. really good levels so you have the three threats right there i actually didn't do too bad with this list either yeah i mean i think i only went like two and three but it was fun two and three was it a close two and three uh well I, you know what uh when i was playing against mephisto uh, he, uh, he doesn't count. He had Nagash, so it was rough, but I think I really, I gave him a run for his money. And then okay. I played twice. I played two, uh, uh, I played, okay. I played against Mikey Gerald, which, you know, uh, that 
kind of automatically put you at a disadvantage because he's just that good. But he had the three, uh, the corn with the three bloodthirsters, and then the fourth one you could bring in. Mm-hmm. Or I think he might have had four on the table even. And then they had that thing where one one attacks, they all get to attack. The uh, tyrants of blood. Yeah. Right. So, like, I had a really fun time. And then my last game was against an almost identical list to that with the tyrant, with another unit, with the uh, with all the... That's just hard to face off against. Even with 40 chain rasps, like, just mass attacking it and just buckets of dice, it was still, like... <gasps> That was hard, but... Well, the issue is the inherent imbalance with Night Haunt is that they have no way to remove wounds at range. Yes. Effectively. The chain gas can throw their flails, and you can throw a couple of mortal wounds with spells or the screams, but the nature of that army is that it inherently has no good way to remove wounds at range. And that's just the imbalance in that army. So you have to make up for it in other ways, which is your increased survivability, your fantastic movement ability. So, uh, so well, and that's part of it. The moving was really cool. Plus the all the little cool things from the battalions. And I had the beacon and I had the fell wind pendant. Like I had some cool stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, this so is back when you had a lot of that stuff. I had ruler of the spirit host. Life stealer was still my, you know, it was a fun one. Um <coughs> Excuse me, goodness. Um, but yeah, I you, luckily I had someone who knew this army well enough to explain to me, hey, listen, you need to make sure that you have this, 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 and this, and this. And I got a practice game in, which practice game, getting, getting in a practice game for me is just like something that is almost unheard of. But uh, when I did that, the guy who helped me, whose name rhymes with Malix Gonzalez, um, you might know him. Uh, that I I had a good time and I had fun with it. I really like that army. Night Hunt is fun. That's one of the. Uh, that's all I've got left right now. I mean, I'm building Harrison's Harrison's elves, but I've got legions and Night Hunt, and that's it. Like I just stuck with all the undead because that's fun. Mm-hmm. And it did. It had the three threats. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, even with something that's not inherently as quote unquote good, would be like my gloom spike gets. So. That would be a unit of 40 Stabas, which they don't do anything, but they can get on the objective and sit there for a few turns um, and take up a good chunk of the board. And then you're looking at six uh, Raka Trogats, which they can stand there and they can do some dirty work. Yeah. Um, Not against ghosts, but they can do some dirty work. And then a unit of 15 Bounders. So again, it's three threats, but then I also have the two Mangler Squigs behind it. So there's some extra in there, but again, it's the imbalance in the army with mine is I don't have a lot of good ways to remove things at range and I'm sticking to like pure squigs, trogs and grots. Okay. So it's just, and I'm trying not to go heavy magic because you have the inherent build with like uh scrag rot in endless spells and just raining death that way. Which is fine. You can play it that way. It's just, it's kind of one way or the other. So I get you. Um, okay, so now I see. I see what you're saying there. You just got to make sure that there's at least three things to deal with. Because if you don't have that much, then they can. Ba- if they can, if they can take out 
that one threat right away in the beginning, then you're pretty much out of it. So you yeah, need either to have, by killing it or isolating it, uh, just ignoring it. So it's like if you put that one threat on one objective, it can't be everywhere. So it's one of those things that's like, okay, you put that thing on the objective, you have to then put a squishier unit on it to keep it without like have, your opponent would have. So granted, when you claim an objective in Age of Sigmar, you hang on to it until your opponent takes it. But if you put this massive Death Star on one objective, you then have to put something else on it to keep it realistically right otherwise it's just someone walks over and free plinks an objective off of you and then you have to do it all over again so you're then putting something inherently weaker on that objective which then is more susceptible to somebody else's uh who has an increased number of threats okay i see what you're saying here all right um hmm Okay, so let's. Uh, the, I guess let's go to those last couple of uh, things we wanted to talk about. Um, uh, you know what? Let's let's talk about. Uh, let's cover the first one. Uh, the if you're bringing in, you know, big characters. Or... I think we should cover that last. Oh, okay. Cover that last. Then why don't we cover the overall composition and then uh, and then we'll take a break. Yeah. So. Th- I kind of put this as overall composition and we already talked about like the three threats and everything like that. And this is the finish of those notes. Um, it's command points. Um, and we have a lot of command traits and a lot of artifacts now that give bonus command points. So with Glim Spite, you have fungoid cave shamans with cities of Sigmar, you have the adjudicant and various other things that let you generate command points. Um, because there are so many command abilities now that only last for the phase in which they are used. The ones that last until your next hero phase are getting removed. If you look at the books and how they've been progressing, it's you use that command ability, it lasts for that phase, and then it's done. So command abilities are more important because they don't last as long. So you need to have more command points, which then is, are you going to spend 50 points on an additional command point? Are you going to try to cheek in a battalion in order to get an extra CP? And trying to figure out how many command points your army really needs to function effectively. So the other thing is like command point economy. So for Stormcast, they have the Lord of the Host off the Dracolith or the Dracoth the Venus Hammerhand. Um, oh, the Dracothian. Yeah, the Dracothian. On the Dracoth, right. Yes, Dracoth. Um that guy's command ability is the pass battle shock for everything within X range. That is a command point multiplier because you're not spending multiple points on inspiring presence. You're spending one command point to use that command ability to keep a good chunk of your army from running away. So it's command point economy. The gloom spike gets have the loon shrine. So while you're in range of that, you ignore battle shock, which is great because that army is not known for its bravery. Um, but then if you want to take advantage of that, you have to change the nature of how you play the unit that you're going to keep near it. So 
the example with the gits, um, my 40 block of stabas, I have to keep close to the loon shrine because I want to make sure that they don't run away and I'm spending my command points on the things that will get work done as opposed to keeping this mob of grots alive. So okay. it then changes their role a little bit to from being an aggressive threat to being a strictly defensive threat. See what I'm saying? Right. Okay. Okay. Um, the other thing with the battalions is you get the additional artifacts um, and drop control. So right. The artifacts, granted, you don't have as many to pick from uh, as we used to, but it makes each one of those artifacts more important for the ones like you have in your book um, or available to your army. So you then have to like really reconsider, do I need a second artifact? Could I get away without a battalion? So it's just trying to figure out what your list needs based on what you're taking. And then if there's a battalion that you naturally wander into um, with night haunt as the example, like you could have made two battalions out of that list, maybe even three just by changing a character or splitting the blade geist into two units. Okay. Um, actually, yeah, you could have done that. So it's like trying to figure out where you can make adjustments based on what you need for your army. So, um, trying to think if there's anything else I need to cover. And then the drop control is a thing. Um, there are a few one drop armies, meaning it deploys in a battalion, um, or by some other means. And the only thing is that your opponent gets one deployment. They deploy their entire army and get to pick who goes first in the first battle round. Um, you see that a lot with Zinch right Right now because of the change host is a big deal. Um, you're seeing that you used to see that with Sylvaneth where they did the war grows. Um, but Sylvaneth needed that quite a bit at the time because they were quite a bit squishier, um, and needed to get their buffs going before they became, uh, like effective. I don't want to say effective because they do have really good war scrolls, but like to make them able to compete with some of the other things. Okay. So, um, but even just getting your drops down to like four, five, or six with a battalion gives you good odds to get the choice of who goes first. Okay. This way you may then get the increased odds for the double turn, um, or at least making sure that your opponent that has a uh, shooting army, you can move into a better position for cover, et cetera, et cetera. So it just gives you more control of that first turn. All right. Huh. All right, that totally makes sense. I understand what we're saying here. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like list building then carries into how do you play the army, um, especially with battalions and drop control and the functions of pieces. And this is why I wanted to save the next topic for last, talking about the function of pieces. Oh, okay. Um, with army list. Okay, I see what you're saying here. Um. All right. Well, then, uh, you know, we'll just 
you know what? Let's just keep going because we've only been going 20 minutes. We're taking weird. We take a 10 minutes, then an hour. Let's just keep going. We'll talk about this, and then um, we'll we'll cover some final thoughts. I know you had a couple other things you wanted to talk about, uh, and then we'll we'll cover that. We'll, we'll keep going, basically. Let's sure. keep going. Um. So what we've seen a lot of uh, lately um, is building your army around a particularly massive, unique model. Um, that costs a substantial chunk of your points. Um, and I'm specifically referring to Nagash, Teclas, Everqueen, Gorjak, Archeon, Marathi, like these big named characters or big expensive models. Um, so you then have to really adjust your thinking if you take one of those. Um, because, especially the unique ones, because when you're building your army list around them, you have to take into consideration that you can't really customize these characters outside of spell selection. So they are right. what they are. You don't get a command trait. You don't have uh, artifacts on them. So it's a real consideration when you take one of these big pieces, whether or not it is worth it to the army that you're building. Um, because they cost such a substantial chunk of your points, they are also harder to protect because you have less options for drawing ranged attacks off of them because they're, if they could be the cost of two threats in one. So like Archeon is what, 700 points or something? Um, that could be two threat units. Right. It's just one because it's Archeon. So is he one of your threats? Absolutely. Um, so you have less things that are going to draw fire. You may have less things to screen those particular units, which you have to take in order to make sure that they don't get alpha struck off the board um, to screen off from stuff like that. So you have to then incorporate screening units okay. to just keep them protected. So that adds additional cost onto this one model. Um, they generally do one or two two things very well so Archeon he kills things Gordrak he kills things um, Nagash he keeps your army alive far longer than it really should have with his command ability yeah um, and then he can kill things um, but he has to pick on things a little smaller than him um, I mean granted most things in the game are smaller than him because he's a tall model but um, he can only do so much going into some things now because of the change to the saves um, and just the volume of attacks that exist in the game now. Um, I think there's a lot of units that generate just so many attacks that he can't save them all. So well, um, that is true. Can, yeah. Um, so what you can do is you either maximize the focus of that character to compensate for what they can't do. So if you take uh, Archeon, he's a combat piece. You're then going to either go as hard as you can into fast moving combat, or you can take a more balanced approach to take things to compensate for the things that he doesn't do, um, which would be like defense, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, because he takes up such a substantial chunk. Um, <laughs> you may not have a lot of models, because you're taking these massive models. Um, when I'm saying that, I'm like, when you think about 
the um what is it called the thricefold befoulment for uh nurgle so that's three great unclean ones one of them is uh rodigus uh-huh you then have to look at taking another unit of like 30 plague bearers but they don't do much of anything except sitting on an objective some plague kings and another small unit of plague bearers so you don't really have a good way to screen them aside from this 30 mob of plague bearers um so with the god specific armies for chaos it's a little different because those armies have inherent ways to summon um via contagion fate um blood tithe or depravity points Um, right you can compensate for your very expensive character that's preventing you from taking a lot of models um so the other thing is that big model has to fit some sort of a role in your army like any other unit like taking Archeon is cool, but you need to make sure that he's going to be doing something aside from just being a big expensive model on the table. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's also taking things that would support him, whether that's um, a chaos sorcerer, Lord on foot for uh, demonic power or oracular visions, um, but things to help pump him up. But then that's effectively putting more cost onto Archeon. Um, so, um, there's that. Um, and a lot of times we see these characters that may not be getting taken as a general, um, particularly Teclas, Marathi, or the Everqueen. I think these are the ones that I see most frequently that are not going to be taken as your general. Um, and there are a lot of people that are like, well, why wouldn't you listen to a god or goddess or whatever you want to call it? It's like, well... It's not because they're not good units, but the additional flexibility in unit selection, like the battle line if, uh, depending on your general, as well as having a command trait and a customizable uh, general, is a huge difference. And their general-only command abilities, like Marathi lets units attack, but she only has that when she's in her little form. So how often are you going to be getting into combat when she's still little? Oh, that's true. Probably not. Um, because if she takes three wounds, when she turns into Big Marathi, she's suddenly only six wounds and then she dies much quicker. So you generally transform her right away. So she then loses the command ability that you were taking her to be your general. Why? Um, and then same with Teclas. He actually doesn't have a general only command ability. He doesn't have a command ability. Period. So there's no benefit to making him your general. And that just could be because he was wants to be this force of nature that shows up and says, oh, yeah, I'm here. Look at me. Um, So you just have to. Uh, When he shows up, that's what you do, though. I mean, most people are like, oh, look at him. And they look because he's. Yeah. I mean, that happens. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? The dunce hat helps. Um, so I like how you moved away from the mic to say that. Yeah. The dunce hat helps. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So in any event, or like the Everqueen, her command ability is cool, but I believe it is still a once per game command ability. So is making her your general worth 
that once per game command ability. But then the role switches for that character from being like the support or linchpin to being an independent operator. Meaning, like Marathi in particular and the Everqueen, when they go, they essentially can do things on their own. Uh, Marathi in particular, because she just transforms into the Shadow Queen, she then gets more wounds. She's much better in combat. She has access to all the command abilities because she's a character. Um, And then she's extremely survivable and she will draw attention. It's the same thing with like the Everqueen or Teclas. If you're going after one of those, you're not going after the rest of the army. So they're still a threat, but they're just role changes. And you can use them more as a bully piece instead of like risking your general only command ability. Okay. Or your general in or your general in general. <laughs> and with that I think we're gonna take a break. Yes. Alright. We'll be back. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. We are back with closing thoughts and moving on. So the only other thing I want to talk about was the actual meta in the tournament scene right now. Okay. Um, one, it's really weird, uh, mainly because pandemic. Um, but if you're looking at the countries where people are playing games and playing tournaments, um, it's a really hard meta um, on a global level or even a local level. Um, cause to be a combat army, you have to really be prepared to clear off like 200 wounds of, of, a uh, putrid blight Kings because of how many you can take at, mm-hmm. uh, the points values because they are cheaper now. Um, and they are tougher with the drowned men, et cetera. Um, or like 60 Hearthguard berserkers. That's 120 wounds of Hearthguard berserkers. Or to withstand the onslaught of Daughters of Cain. So if you're going to be playing 
hard edge competitively. That's the kind of stuff that you have to be able to deal with is being able to remove like 50 blight Kings. Right. And if you think that just sounds silly, it's because it is, Um, (laughs) but there are people that can and will do it. So, um, it's just, if you're in melee at this point, it's all about durability. Um, because like the if you notice the common thing with all of those units is blightings they're durable they can heal they have uh, multiple wounds a really good armor save and they just dish 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 attacks same with the hearth guard they have a really good armor save they have a secondary save which makes them tough plus they're two wounds apiece and then daughters of Cain you're looking at the inherent Cainite save the bonuses for the cauldron. And then just the sheer volume of attacks that those girls put out. So it's really just about getting into the slog, which may or may not be interesting to some people to either pursue the meta or to really get their mind around, like, how do I do that? There's just some armies that just can't right now. But that's, again, the natural imbalance to the game. So Okay. Well, this this has actually been amazingly informative. Like, it's easier to build a list now because of the just the I don't need as many books and stuff like that. But it's also kind of difficult to build a list because you got to get all those things into consideration, which is great. Like, it's I I just I feel like I'm finally at the point where I'm starting to get what it is I have to do. You know? Uh, yeah. So again. I'm not going to be one of those people that I'll tell you to go go play hard-nosed competitive if that's your thing that you think. Um, But just in general terms of list building, the biggest thing is the three threats, three or more. So just something to really keep in mind uh, building a list going forward. And that'll probably be the most balanced approach anyway. So Good. Excellent. Well, uh, Alex, thank you so much for all of this information. I'm certain there are other people who are benefiting from it uh, as much or almost as much as I am. So, cool. This is, uh, wow, it's uh, it's nice to have an episode where I learn something instead of just yapping on about stuff. So, this was really great. Thank you so much. Um yeah. What else? What else? I can't think of anything and else. And then shout out to Jake and Sean from the Detroit Warhammer Club. Um, I know they're probably not listening to this, but um, I certainly wow. Know they okay. Are. Um, no, it's it's okay. Um, podcasts are not for everybody, and that's totally cool too. That is true. Certainly glad that everybody Heck, that is listening. A lot of people say that the podcasts are not for me. Um, you know. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I know you can. Um, but no, no, you're, you're just loud and obnoxious, but that's okay. We love you for it. Wow! <laughs> if okay. the shoe fits, wear it. It's okay. Is this is this is is this is this what's happening? Is this is this is this what we're playing? Okay, if this is where we're going. This is where we're going. I got you. Okay. All right, I got it. All right. There so, are some people that think I shouldn't be on a podcast because I'm sullen and grunt, grunt, or, uh, grumpy all the time. So, I mean, hey, seriously, it, low energy is cool for a podcast. People just don't get it. That's what it is. That's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm counter meta for podcasting. Yeah, that's great. <sighs> but I mean, between the two of us, the high energy over the top, the more mellow, chill 
kind of grump achieves a status quo, it works. Job's a good one. Uh, so, okay. so uh, until next time, folks, uh, I, I definitely want to, before we go, I want to thank everyone um, for listening. And I want to thank, of course, our uh, our sponsors and specifically our Patreon patrons. Um for making the show possible. Once again, please, guys, uh, check your emails. And if you're not get if you, if I didn't get something by by email, please check the uh, Patreon page because there's going to be a couple of posts up there and a, uh, a couple of questions I'm putting out. I'm trying to do some patron uh, only fancy stuff. Um, and so I just I want to get your guys' opinions and see if anyone wants to participate in this stuff with me. So please check that out. Uh, again, our associate producers, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, Lance Pear, AJC. AJC. And our executive producer, Colin Miller. Thank you guys very much, as well as all the Patreon patrons, past, present, and future, uh, for being part of the almost 1% who make this show and everything we do on it possible. And until next time, folks, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at GarageHammer. And Alex, that's me, is at SomeKindOfGeek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the GarageHammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>